Welcome. Welcome back to Held and Healed. We have a very, very special guest today here on our podcast. And I am so, so, so honored to have um, this opportunity to share with you. So I'm going to read from the back of her book cover. She has been a Christian divorce recovery leader in churches since 1998. She's worked with hundreds of women and men going through and recovering from difficult divorces. She had a life-saving divorce when her children were young and successfully raised them to adulthood as a single mother. Today, she's happily remarried and writes about divorce recovery. She's a graduate of Wheaton College with a degree in Bible and Christian education. Welcome, Gretchen. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. It's really a pleasure. I appreciate all the advocacy you do. Oh, my goodness. You are just making such a difference in this world. So your book, The Life-Saving Divorce, we're going to be talking about that. And then what I find so amazing is the group that you have on Facebook as well. And so that is for people who are either separated or divorced. And do you know how many are in that now? Yeah, we're, we hit uh, over 2,000 earlier this month. Wow. So it's, it's just growing like topsy. It's just amazing how many separated or divorced or um, uh, Christians need uh, the support Absolutely. of uh, they they needed life saving divorces and their churches just don't know what to do with them and many of them were um, either on staff of the church or worked right. for Christian organizations or were involved lay leaders for their churches so uh, this is the place to come to find support and encouragement the life saving divorce uh, well, Facebook I'm group just amazed that you've been at this since 1998 because it's really only been recently that more and more voices are being heard. And I'm so grateful for the, this, the years and the trenches that you already have the experience because you have wisdom, you have poise, you have grace, like the way that you handle things, um, questions that are sent to you. Um, there's so much depth and maturity to what you do. So I'm grateful for the steadiness that you offer. Um, I can be a very emotional, you know, and respond emotionally, but you just, you stay, you stay steady. And I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <So>, you. <laughs> we're going to just hear a lot from you today. I'm not going to be talking much at all, but just go ahead and start out by sharing a little bit of your story and what brought you to this place of wanting to minister to people. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, like so many other Christians, I was brought up in a wonderful Christian home. You know, my parents have been married 60 years and counting. Mm -hmm. I was raised to believe in the sanctity of marriage, that marriage was meant to be, you know, loving, undefiled, lifelong. And, um, you know, it never occurred to me how could I possibly myself go through a divorce? Mm. I mean, I was a person who, you know, accepted Christ at age five and uh, loved going to church, loved reading my Bible. I was part of youth group in high school and youth choir. And, and then I went on to a Christian college and got my degree in Bible and Christian education. How is it possible that a person like me could get a divorce? Mm. Um, and 
my biggest goal was to be, you know, an affectionate wife and a loving mother. And so I set out to do everything right. Um, but <laughs> you can mm. hear it coming. Things yes. <laughs> did not turn out the way I planned. In, in fact, they turned out dangerous. Mm. Um, and the loving marriage that I was promised, if I followed all the rules, really just sort of uh, crumbled before my eyes. And I found myself really terrified with two little children in totally unknown territory. Um, they were depending on me. They were little. They were about kindergarten age. And all these judgmental messages about divorcees just pounding in my head. Uh, and I just, but I had to get out of there. I just had yeah. to, to save our lives and our sanity. And, um, you know, in those really dark years, the Lord just showed me his provision and his faithfulness. And uh, I met a woman in a Sunday school class, and she was a single mom raising four children, four little children all by herself. And um, we we got together, we we started just a, you know, an acquaintanceship. And then our church announced that they wanted to do some small, small groups, right? Because that's what churches do. They have right. small groups that meet. And our women's director was open to doing a single mother support group. <clears throat> and so this other single mom and I got together and we started this group in 1998. Such an amazing, we needed it badly ourselves because mm -hmm. we were just struggling and then uh, we were both uh, sexual infidelity survivors, but our group started being flooded with emotional abuse survivors. And that's when for the first time ever, I heard things like, wow, uh, they would say things like, if only he had hit me and I had a bruise, wow. then I could get the support I needed. Or wow. Wow. if I wish he had just, I wish he would just cheat on me. Yeah. So that I would have biblical grounds for divorce. Wow. And I didn't just hear this once or twice. I heard this over and over again. Right. And that's when my mind slowly started realizing, wait, something, something is wrong here. You know, um, and so we embraced them as, you know, full uh, valued Christians who needed life-saving divorces. And that's kind of how it started. But to be honest with you, I didn't have very many mentors in this area. I only knew one woman in, in a mega church who had been, who had filed for divorce herself and had raised her three daughters alone. But she would, she was probably 25 years older than I was. And she would come to me and she would say, Gretchen, divorce is not the worst thing in the world. Right. And then she would give me a little mischievous smile and a wink. Mm. And that little, that small effort really made a difference for me at the time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I get, I get this um, so often, you know, almost daily women coming to me and basically believing that God is going to disown them <laughs> if right. they leave a dangerous situation. And I, to me, it's a very simple concept. We as human beings, as parents, if we have daughters, and if we were made aware that they were being mistreated, <laughs> mm -hmm. we as human parents would not say, go back into that. So why do we put that on God? Why do we say that God, the perfect heavenly father who loves all, sees all, knows all, hears all, why, why do we put that on him? It's just, it's just beyond like, 
my, I can't even conceive why we say that to people. Yeah. Because- it's so, per- <laughs> it's so perplexing. Yes, it is. It's truly, it truly is. And yet it's been so ingrained in us that it's like the impardonable sin to exactly. divorce. And so, exactly. you know, not all marriages are holy, not all divorces are unholy. Like, we have to get away from this, um, this mentality that just because people are married, I know I read something this week about, you know, if you want to know who's wise and who's mature and who really loves the Lord, look at the ones who have been in marriages for 20, 30, 40 years. And I was like, that is the most ridiculous statement of all, (laughs) you know, like so many people that are in marriages for 20, 30 and 40 years are believing the things we're going to speak about today. And they are dead inside. They're dying inside. And maybe they're physically dying as well because of mentalities like that, because of sermons like that. So we are here just to blow the lid off of the lies and the myths. And you do such an amazing job. Your book is over 400 pages long. (laughs) How long long does it take to write a 400-page book? Well, I've got to be honest with you. I started writing various parts of this book literally 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But then I finally, um, <laughs> I finally <laughs> retired. Uh, I was I was single for 20, 21 years yeah. after my divorce with my two little children, and I finally remarried four years ago. Wow. So I I remarried in my late fifties, wow. and um, but God was so faithful during those 20 years, he completely rebuilt the years the locust destroyed and, um, and, um, and all the stigma that goes along. And, you know, you mentioned that people look down on us and, and, um, you know, our churches try to cast divorcees as quitters who took the easy way out or the quick way out or didn't try very hard or didn't value Mm -hmm. the sanctity of marriage. Um, And yet, I, you know, I've in the last 20 years, I've been spending hours in rooms with, you know, talking to people. Anyway, four years ago, uh, when I remarried, my husband said to me, you have got to finish that book. You keep talking about it. People keep asking for it. Wow. Finish the book. (laughs) And he said, but, you know, you're just, you know, one woman living in Los Angeles And so your church experience is not probably going to be representative of the entire United States. So you need to (laughs) interview all kinds of people. You need to interview black Christians, Latino Christians, Asian Christians, people from the South, people from the Midwest, people from all different denominations. And because you need to really fill if you're going to really survey and really understand all Christian divorcees, it can't just be about the people you know. And boy, am I glad he did that because wow. I, the things I learned from people from all over the U.S. and from the, first of all, I learned that we're very, very similar in the sense that uh, all of our, uh, most of our churches have this horrible stigma that they put on divorcees as as quitters, as losers, yeah. as people who didn't value marriage. Mm. Um, but um, different churches had different ways of preaching about that, and I learned about that. And uh, and then I heard 
I started interviewing men and I heard men's stories and that blew my mind. Their stories were so traumatic. I ended up losing nights of sleep and having to go back into therapy. So wow, um, it was just a, it was quite an adventure to write this book, but it did take me about um, four years. I would say the, the last year was, you know, fully focused on the book, getting all the interviews in, um, you know, having it read by the experts, especially the Bible chapter. So I had that edited. Um, uh, I'm very grateful to David, Dr. Uh, David Instone Brewer of Cambridge, um, who edited uh, that chapter for me. So yeah, a full year, I would say. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and such valuable. It's, it's sort of a handbook. Like you have a guide that says, read the first chapter. And then if you're going through XYZ, then these are the chapters you should read. So it, it really serves as like a handbook that people can can glean from at, at various, you know, places in their journey. So so we're going to hit some of the top myths um, that you, um, you say that certain ones get hit on your website more frequently than others, like myths that people are believing. So you go ahead, just take okay. it away. Um, okay. We may have time for like three or four. We'll just kind of see how our time goes, but just hit the the heavy hitters. Of okay. The yeah. Um, I've created a list of 27 stigmatizing messages that our churches give to us, lay on us, or teach us to persuade us to keep trying and not divorce. Um, they view, in many cases, divorce as evidence of uh, moral decay in society. But I would push back and say that tolerating abusive marriages and forcing people to stay in abusive marriages is real decay. In and shows a real lack of moral values. Anyway, so amen. I took these, <laughs> amen. <laughs> so I took these 27, what I call myths of divorce that don't apply to most committed Christians. Do they, uh, you know, apply to immature people, people who didn't take marriage seriously, people who really weren't ready to, you know, leave the single life? Yeah, maybe they do but they don't apply to most uh, committed uh, Christians. I, and, and as you say, I'm not going to go over all 27. They're all in uh, chapter three of my book if people want to read them. But I'm going to go over, if, if we have time, the top five, according to Google Analytics. So let's start with the first one. The first one is that 95% of divorces are for falling out of love. Our pastors and youth leaders and Christian radio programs absolutely promote this myth. They make it sound like most divorces are completely frivolous for things like squeezing the toothpaste wrong or putting in the toilet paper wrong. Um, and, uh, and that only a tiny handful are for really serious problems. But it turns out that's not true. It turns out that according to four different studies, and these are all studies in the last 20 years, about half of divorces in the United States are for what I call life-saving reasons, the serious reasons, a pattern of sexual immorality, physical violence, chronic emotional abuse, life-altering addictions, severe indifference or neglect. Um, so let's just put that one to rest. Yes. So our churches have to face the fact that literally half of divorces are for something horrible. Yes. And I would imagine if you're talking to a committed Christian, I would bet 
it's a lot higher than that in in, in in our group of people. Absolutely. Okay. The next myth is you were just a quitter. You didn't try hard enough. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh, that one really hurts. <laughs> that, that one really that hurts. One, that one cuts deep. Absolutely. I stayed in my marriage. I imagine you did yours for years beyond, um, you know, so I knew I had biblical grounds for divorce many, many years mm -hmm. before I actually filed mm -hmm. because of this, of this belief, you yep. just didn't try hard enough stigma. And this is the one that makes us sort of do inward nasal navel gazing. <laughs> you know, we, we turn ourselves inside out to try to figure out what we did wrong to make our marriage bad and how we can fix it. Yeah. But the truth is that uh, researchers have found that people in the most destructive marriages often try harder to fix their marriage than anyone else. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's totally ironic it, uh, because that's not what we were told, is it? Mm -mm. Um, so three researchers, Hawkins, Willoughby and Doherty, have found something really surprising about marriages that have highly destructive factors. And they identified those highly destructive factors as abuse, drug or alcohol addiction, or infidelity. And what they said is the innocent spouses in these highly destructive marriages often double down and continue their efforts to save the marriage. And they are even more likely to believe that divorce can be prevented if both of them try harder. Correct. But they, yeah. but they miss the fact that one person isn't trying at all. Yes. And I, I hear from women all day, not all day, but often in the day where there's been one or any combination of those three factors, ad abuse, adultery, and addiction. And this is what the church says. Pray more, give him sex more, submit more, nag less. Yes, exactly. And that's it's not, it's not actually in the Bible, but whatever, <laughs> you know, and that's really a very distinctly yeah. North American Christian thing. Yes. yes. Um, it, this, in fact, my friends from other countries can hardly believe that this is what we as North American mm -hmm. Christians believe. Anyway, um, so um, what this tells us is that abuse and betrayal victims are not looking for the easy way out, even in the most horrible marriages that innocent spouse hangs in there for a long time. Okay. And I, th I think we can explain it this way. Early in the relationship, and maybe you identify with this, they, um, they discovered that their spouse had problems, but they persevered anyway. They set aside their own happiness, their own health, their own mental peace to keep the relationship going. And each time there was an abuse or the next betrayal, they dealt down and did it yeah. again. Yeah. And these people forgave. They went the extra mile, even to the point of ruining their health, falling into depression, suicidal ideations, and sacrificing the well-being of their children. Mm. So it's um, what I wish our churches understood. And what I would say to anyone who's an abuse victim or a betrayal victim listening to it is the first time you walked back into that toxic home and faced your abuser was the day you proved to yourself and to the world that you believed in the sanctity of marriage. Mm. Now you've proved it. Now right. get out. Wow. <laughs> get out. Wow. So good. Wow. Mm. So the next, are you ready for the next one? 
you go for it. <laughs> okay. The next one is horrible. This is the myth that says divorce will destroy your kids. So you sh should stay for the children. Um, I'm really sorry. I, I did not understand how this, how this has been debunked until the last two years. Let's, I mean, let's be honest, any good parent is willing to sacrifice for their children. We hate yeah. to see our ch children suffer. We cry at night thinking about, you know, what will happen to our children. We know divorce is hard on kids. The moving, the switching schools, the having to make new friends. And we know, as researchers know, that the first two years are excruciatingly painful for them. Sure. But let me highlight the facts that 30 years of research have found. Okay. Sorry. Are we still on? Okay. Yeah, we're good. We're good. All right. So reality one, after those first two horrible years, on average, because these are just averages, right? About eight in 10 kids of divorce turn out fine with no serious long-term emotional, psychological, or social problems. Wow. Okay. Wow. But nobody ever told us that. Even the most pessimistic researcher, Dr. Judith Wallerstein, even she believed that at least seven in 10 kids of divorce turned out average, very well, or exceptional. Okay. Reality number two, physical and emotional abuse and conflict are horrible for kids to experience or to observe. And researchers have studied toxic homes and found that the kids whose parents divorced had 10 times better well-being than the kids whose parents stayed married. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's just shocking to me. And that's, that's nothing new. They have known that since the 1990s. Wow. But somehow, no one ever told us. Wow. Um, reality number three is that when people in good or average marriages divorced simply because they got bored or felt unfulfilled, those marriages were actually very bad for kids mm. because the kids saw a fairly functional marriage uh, ending. Wow. And so those kids actually are damaged more in those cases. So the rule of thumb is that when the marriage is highly toxic, divorce is good for kids. When the marriage is good or, or even average, divorce is bad for kids. And that so, makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So you can be a Christian who believes that there are life-saving divorces and not life-saving divorces. Mm -hmm. We can still believe in the absolute sanctity of marriage, but consider that some behavior is so bad, it makes marriage a mockery. There is no holiness in that particular marriage. Right. And so um, I think that as Christians, we can hold our head high and we can have that kind of nuance in our view of, of divorce. Um, are you ready for the next one? Yeah. So how, tell me quickly, how old were your children when you got divorced? Uh, four and six. So they were very little. Wow. Yeah. And I raised them by myself. I had sole custody because of my, my husband's behavior was uh, illegal and immoral. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And uh, so I got, I had sole custody, but I've got to tell you, my kids finished their educations. They're adults now. They're, you know, that was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, they're adults now. They, they turned out great. They're good. They're good human beings. They are good friends, good employees. They've got great jobs. They finished their educations. Uh, people like my children <laughs> and they are not seen. I was terrified they'd turn into juvenile delinquents oh, and, um, you know, yeah. teen pregnancy and all this stuff I had heard. Uh, well, we can talk about that another day. Uh, it turns out that when you look at these big studies on things like delinquency and being ever being suspended or expelled from school, it turns out the kids of divorce are about equal to uh, kids from two parent married homes, maybe in some, on some measures, they're a little bit worse, but they're not vastly worse. Like we were told, um, on Christian, um, you know, um, marriage at any cost websites. Right. Right. Cause just because people are together does not mean the home is a place of safety and peace. We've exactly. Got, we've got to, we've got to make that like distinction and, yeah, that is so destructive and poisonous for kids to be in that environment. So it makes it makes a lot of sense yeah. when they see. I remember my counselor saying to me that the greatest gift I could give to my children was for me to get well. Mm. And mm. I mean, you talk about motivating a mama like she knew my heart as a mother. Like the only thing that really mattered was my kids being safe and them being well and for them to see me go from this very sick human being to where I am now. Like I'm not the same person I was five years ago. I'm just not. Hallelujah. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Right. Yeah. Lots of hard work and lots of great people who have poured into me and people like you have, who have given us resources, but that was the greatest gift that I could give my kids is for them to see this broken, beat down, depressed, sick mama to now like, I, I just have dreams and visions and plans and things that I'm going to do in my life. And I was not there five years ago. Yeah. And five years, you've seen a huge amount of healing. Absolutely. And your experience is not completely unusual. It right. turns out that according to Baylor religion survey data, and, and just to remind people, um, Baylor is the largest Baptist university in the world. Okay. They found in their data that seven in 10 Christian divorcees were either happy or very happy eventually after divorce. Yes, yes, yes. Not and to say no, that there's, there's obviously seasons you have to walk through and things that are hard, of course, but the end goal is to, to be healthy, to be well, to be safe. Yeah, and you, exactly what you're saying, because your kids need at least one sane and healthy parent. Yes, yes, they do. So you've got it. You have to watch out for your own mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, do we, hit do us we, with the next one. Yeah, hit us with the okay. next one. <laughs> so uh, the next myth says that God will heal your marriage if you pray hard enough. Okay. Mm, okay. Ooh, this hashtag, <laughs> hashtag war room. Oh, <laughs> I remember going to see that movie and I sat there and I cried like a baby. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All of these, these uh, um, shaming things. Um, This myth, of course, as you just mentioned, pressures us to stay and pray to prove our faith and to be seen as being close to God. Mm. I mean, this myth really appeals to all of us who love the Lord, love the Bible, and we have always been seen as spiritually mature. But here's what we need to remember about this myth. God does not promise to bless every righteous person with a loving marriage, good health, and much wealth. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Mm. Okay. Mm. And your bad marriage, our bad marriages may not be the evidence of your lack of faith or your sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know from the story of uh, Jesus healing the blind man in John 9, um, after he healed the blind man, people ran up to Jesus and said, tell me, Jesus, was his blindness due to his sin or his parents? And Jesus said, no, it's not connected to the blind man's spiritual condition or his parents' sin. So your bad marriage doesn't mean necessarily that you did anything wrong. And then here's the zinger on this one. We are not to stay in danger and insist that God save us. Mm. That is tempting the Lord, our God. Wow. And and it is prohibited in Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Um, For people who don't remember that passage, this is the passage where Satan tempts Jesus multiple times. And one of the temptations is where Satan tells Jesus to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple, which would have been a platform 16 stories high, okay, a straight free fall, saying that God promised to do a miracle to protect him by sending angels. And You know, I'm sure it would have been quite a spectacular way to prove to all of Jerusalem that Jesus was this godly and special person. But Jesus turned around and said, Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Mm. In other words, don't stay in danger or go in danger and then ask God to do a showy miracle. Wow. So you need to ignore your friend who says stay and pray. And by the way, If your friend's house was on fire, I doubt they'd tell their children to stay and pray for a miracle. Amen. That's, oh, that's a great point. Wow. So we can walk away from a destructive marriage to save our life and sanity and our kids. It's not a sin. It is honoring our God-given sense of self-preservation. And I believe that you can hold your head high without shame if you've gotten a life-saving divorce. Now, are you ready for the big one, the granddaddy of all divorce myths? Okay. Go for it. It's, it's the one that says all divorce is sin, Malachi mm-hmm. 2.16, and that God hates divorce. Yeah. This is the number one searched for myth on my entire website. And um, let's first, let's take on the myth that God is against all divorce. He is not. God hates abuse more than he hates divorce. And we know that 
Right. Because two times in the Old Testament, God commanded divorce mm -hmm. for physical and emotional neglect and abuse. Those are in Exodus 21, 10 through 11 and Deuteronomy 21, 10 through 14. I've got a whole YouTube video on this called um, uh, Divorce as God's Protection of Women in the Bible. But divorce had to be an option since biblical times to protect women from a cruel, heartless spouse. And of course, it did work the other way if the wife was the malicious one. Right. Um, and there are multiple times that divorce is commanded in the Bible. I've mentioned two already, but also in the book of Ezra, where Jewish men are called to divorce their foreign wives. And many people don't realize that, Jesus, uh, that uh, God himself divorced Israel in That's Jeremiah 3.8 right. for mm -hmm. spiritual adultery. Right. So um, let's put that one to bed. And, and for people who want all these Bible verses and, and all of my reasoning on this, they can go to lifesavingdivorce.com, myth 18. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I call this one. Second, and uh, uh, when I talk about God and divorce, people always point me to Malachi 2.16, mm -hmm. the so-called God hates divorce or I hate divorce verse. And I say so-called because it was only interpreted as God hates divorce for 385 years. Wow. Before that 385-year period, it was seen as an anti-abuse verse, mm -hmm. not an anti-divorce verse. Wow. After that 385-year period, the new major Bible translations went back to the original interpretation that God hates abuse and treachery that lead a man to dumping his wife unjustly. That's it. That's it. He hates what causes divorce. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and so it's an anti-abuse verse, not yeah. an anti-divorce verse. Let me explain it in another way so people can really get this. The book of Malachi was written about 500 years before Jesus. And so for the next 2,100 years, it was interpreted by, you know, all the translators, you know, Jerome handwriting out the, you know, Bible verses and things like that. It was interpreted as an anti-abuse verse, not an anti-divorce verse. Then in 1611, King James's translators changed it to an anti-divorce verse. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was because of King James's religious le leanings. Maybe it was because his mother was killed by King Henry VIII's daughter. But whatever it is, he changed that verse. Wow. So everyone who went before him, and I'm talking about the great leaders of the Reformation, Martin Luther, John Wycliffe, John Calvin, all interpreted Malachi 2.16 as an anti-abuse verse, not an anti-divorce verse. Um, John Calvin actually believed, based on this verse, that marital abuse was twice as bad as armed robbery and murder because it was done in secret behind the closed doors of a home that should have been safe. Um, anyway, fast forward 385 years after the King James Version was published, and it's come to an end. Ever since 1996... The new major Bible translations went back to the anti-abuse interpretation. And that means the NIV 2011 update, 
the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, and the Christian Standard Bible from Lifeway. That's the publishing arm of the um, Southern Baptists. So let me just read you from the NIV. This is how it reads now. So they changed it. Their 1984 version said God hates divorce. Wow. Their 2011 update, they changed it. And here's what the, it reads now. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Mm. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says wow. the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful. Mm. Ooh, it gives me chills. So he's saying, this isn't a guy who had just reason to divorce his wife, because of course men could could uh, divorce uh, for adultery, for all kinds of things, but adultery mainly. And uh, this is just a man who has no good reason, no valid reason. He just, he just doesn't like her. He just, uh, you know, she's just lost. So um, we need, that's kind of the last of the big myths that people search for on my website. Um, but I, as I said, I've got 22 other myths in my wow. book in chapter three. And so much information. So tell us where is the best way to find us, to find you? Okay. Well, there, there are two different ways. Um, the easiest way is on Amazon. It, it exists as a paperback book or as a searchable Kindle uh, book. So those are probably the, the best ways, The Life-Saving Divorce by Gretchen Baskerville. Now, I know that some people are still sharing an, a, an Amazon account with their abuser, uh, yes. and they don't want their spouse to um, know that they've got this book. So there's a couple of ways you can deal with it. Probably the easiest way is just having a friend buy it for you mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, and then pay them back. But there is another way you can download a, a PDF file off of a, a website called Gumroad, G-U-M-R-O-A-D, gumroad.com, and just do a search for the life-saving divorce and you can download that and it'll just come up as... Um, gum road on your credit card. So completely hidden. Well, thank you for even thinking of that because it's very important that we keep people safe in this journey. Wow. There's so much here and in your group. And I will add all this information to the show notes so that people can find you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to be with us today. I know that this is going to bless and bring clarity to so many people. Well, and thank you. Just, just know how much we appreciate you. My prayers are with you almost daily as I see people interacting in your groups. And um, I'm just so thankful for you. Well, thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. And for those of you who are listening, find us at Held and Healed Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse on Facebook or message me at heather-elizabeth.com. And we will stay in touch and see you next time on Held and Healed.